There is this blonde driving down the highway. I can get away with this because as you notice, I'm going more blonde as I get older. I'm actually grey all over, but you'll never see it, and neither will I, thanks to L'Oreal and a really good hairdresser. So, <laughs> um, so there's this blonde racing down the highway in a red sports car speeding, and she gets pulled over by a female cop who's actually blonde as well. So she says to the lady, can I see your driver's licence, please? And so she rummages in her handbag, and she gets a bit agitated. What does it look like? The police officer says, well, it's square, and it's got a picture of you on it. So she rummages in her bag again and finds a mirror. She pulls it out, looks at it, and hands it to the policewoman. The policewoman looks at it, hands it back, and says, oh, you can go. I didn't realise you were a cop. <laughs> so a little boy goes to his father and says, where do babies come from? And his father says... Well, Adam and Eve had babies, and then they had babies, and then they had babies, and then they had babies, and that's how it works. So the little boy goes to his mum and says, Mom, where do babies come from? And she says, well, we evolved from monkeys until what we are now. So the little boy runs back to his dad and says, you lied to me. And he said, oh, no, she's talking about her side of the family. <laughs> so it's a last one, I promise. Or maybe not. Um, so th this man's a bit concerned about his wife losing her hearing. So he says to his doctor friend, what should I do? Have you any advice? And he said, well, there's a really easy test you can do at home. So just stand maybe about 40 feet behind your wife and ask her a question at conversational volume and see what you find out. Then move maybe 10 steps closer and do it in increments and just see how bad it is. Okay, he says. So he comes home. He notices his wife at the kitchen sink with his, her back to him. So he thinks that's about 40 feet. Darling, what's for dinner? No response. Moves about 10 feet. Darling, what's for dinner? No response. Moves another 10 feet. Darling, what's for dinner? Nothing. One more time. Darling, what's for dinner? Nothing. Now he's right behind her. Darling, what's for dinner? Clyde for the fifth time, chicken! <laughs> Is she going to say anything of value today? I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, well, yes, I am. <laughs> um, well, I'm sorry you have to look at me again. I'm, I'm, I'll try and move my face around and make it a bit more interesting. When I was a little girl, my mum said, don't do that, you're, the wind will change and you'll stick. So it's her fault. So if I just change my facial expression, it'll keep you awake, okay? So I was praying, and the Lord kept saying to me, don't shrink back. So the title of my message today is Don't Shrink Back. There it is on the screen. And I thought, don't shrink back, don't shrink back. Oh, that's in Hebrews 10, isn't it? In Hebrews 10, so if you have a Bible, please turn, or on your phone, to Hebrews 10, verse 38 and verse 39. Oh, you've got it on the screen. It's amazing. Um, this is the English Standard Version. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, the Aramaic Bible, so I was looking at some translations. I don't normally read the Aramaic Bible, but I did this time. And it said, we are not of despondency, which leads to destruction but of faith that imparts to our soul. I thought despondency, that's a strange word, isn't it? I don't, I'm despondent today. That's not a word I use, so I looked it up. And despondency means a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope and courage. 
Isn't that interesting? So that verse is talking about don't shrink back to a state of loss of hope and courage. The very thing that we are, according to the word of God. Now, to shrink back means to be a bit intimidated, doesn't it? It's fearful. It speaks of timidity and intimidation and lack of confidence. But we're not of those who shrink back. But there must be a reason why we're being told don't shrink back, because there's lots of opportunities to shrink back, right? We landed in England one time. I won't go into all the details, because I think Dan might have mentioned before. But day one, get off an aeroplane, get into our apartment, and then I stayed in there because I'm a zombie when I got off the plane, I can't function. And Dan goes into town with our three boys. Dan's in a phone shop with our youngest, and our twins walk through town. A phone call comes through, I've been punched in the face. Our sons came under physical attack on the streets by a gang. Now, at that point, Dan dropped everything and ran. Later on that night, the boys said it was the best day of their life when they saw their father running. <laughs> um, but it was actually really intense, and Dan ended up in a full-on brawl, being kicked and punched by all these yobbos. And we came to find out, now this was day one, we landed, put our feet on the ground, we're, why are we there to serve the Lord, to help the church there, and we come under a physical attack straight away, and I've got to tell you, it affected our whole trip, and it made us want to shrink back, and me as a mum, I'm glad I wasn't there, because I would be in prison now, because I would have gone full ninja on them, see I think I am a ninja, but really I'm just a mum, and I probably would have got my, whatever, I would have got kicked in, so I won't, I won't go there. Um, so anyway, we felt like, ugh, particularly me and the boys, we wanted to shrink back. We didn't, we didn't want to be there. We want to go home. But it happened to the wrong family because, as you know, we've been here about 20 years now, haven't we? And we are now American British people. <laughs> so we thought, no, why isn't there any police? Why isn't there any protection on the streets? We came to find out there were lots of people being bullied by these gangs and fearful to come to meetings. We thought, and there was no police presence because lack of funding. <laughs> so we did actually go and see them and so forth and because we stood up and said something, the, they were policing the streets again. Now that's in the natural. Something happened to us, we didn't shrink back and something changed. But in the spiritual, we knew, okay, we must be doing something right if we're being picked on like this. But the Bible says don't throw away your confidence because your confidence will be richly rewarded but we really wanted to throw it away at that point. I really wanted to shrink back. And every time the boys went out, I was like, have you got your phone? Please don't go to that end of town. I'm not a fearful person, but anyway, the very thing that we're told not to do, to shrink back, here in Hebrews, and this word despondency, loss of hope and courage, that's the very thing we're actually, in the Bible, that we are called. We're called bold and courageous. We're more than conquerors. Can you see how we've been, this is attacking our very anointing. Um, in Joshua, it says, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous. We know that. We know that we have the hope of glory living in us. The very thing is being attacked. Now, I won't turn to it, but in Romans 5, it says, this hope will not disappoint. And it says in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the very thing we're told, don't shrink back, but we're not of those who shrink back to despondency, to loss of hope and courage. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going somewhere here. So um, 
I don't think I need to talk to you about faith and what faith is. It's not for things. It's not a formula. It's not a, a, a contingency of the Christian body. Faith towards a loving God. We have a relationship and we're confident in what he's going to do for us. And actually, there's a lovely quote by Tozer that says, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. And in the, second, the end part of that verse in Hebrews, where it says, we're not of those who shrink back, right? And it says, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. When we hear that language a lot in the Bible, preserve our souls, we know he's the restorer of our souls. We know we're to not be conformed by the patterns and customs of this world, Romans 12. But let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's Romans 12. Where am I going with this? We're those who have faith to the preserving of our souls. The only way we cannot shrink back is to recognize what do we have in our favor. And Jay touched on it this morning. The Word of God is what preserves our souls. How do you renew your mind? It's the Bible. That's how we renew our minds. That's our plumb line. That's everything. And so um, I was thinking about the fact that we don't live like the rest of the world. We live in Geneva. You live in Elgin or Batavia, Batavia, as my dear friend Keris says, or Napaville. Um, but um, <laughs> sorry, it's funny. Um, we don't live like the rest of the world. We don't live in survival mode. We have indoor plumbing. We have heating. But persecution-wise, we don't live like the rest of the world. There's some horrible atrocities going on every day across the world to the body of Christ. But here, our persecution is a lot more subtle, isn't it? Excuse me. A lot more subtle. And, um, but I, th I do believe that in the days to come, what we will face, and this has been prophesied many times, in the days to come, the challenge for the church in the earth we live in today will be the doing away of absolutes. What's absolutely wrong and what's absolutely right? A redefinition of sin. Oh, it's not really sin, though. It's the 21st century. Or is it the 22nd century? I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's not really sin, though, is it? Is that sin? Well, that's the, that's the age we live in. Things that are, are right and wrong and have been for centuries are being questioned and if we are not people who are full of the Word of God and our minds are transformed, our souls, our soul is our mind, our will, our intellect and our emotion. It's different than your spirit. Your spirit's born again. It's going to go to heaven, but we're told to renew our minds. Our souls are preserved by the Word of God. And so we are also faced with a whole number of agendas that are coming against society. And the church is going to get it and is already getting that persecution in England particularly, where we have to really know what we believe and how to handle fierce agendas that come our way. And I love everyone. Jesus loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth and to repentance. But to come to repentance. If we say we water down what's right and wrong, and there's no absolutely right and wrong anymore, then we, what are we doing? What's the point of having God? People want to do what they want to do and what feels good because then there's no accountability. But I'm just saying, don't shrink back. God is saying, don't shrink back. But we're not of those who shrink back. Amen? In the days ahead, we're going to have to decide whether we go with the spirit of the age or the authority of Scripture. That is going to be our main challenge. You know, I mean, playing the bills, fine. 
We know how to trust God and get breakthrough for health and strength and paying the bills. I'm talking about in the climate that we live in, are we ready? And we can get ready by feeding, 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 feeding on the word. Um, I believe that we'll have to decide, will our moral compass, if you like, be steered by the authority of Scripture, or will we be swayed by the voice of popular opinion? And it's quite scary to stand up to people with fierce agendas. Do you remember the scene in Narnia? Have you ever watched those movies? Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. One of my favorite scenes is the last battle. Sorry, I don't know everything off by heart, so I've got a lot of paper here. Um, I love the scene at the end. They're having the final battle, and Edmund fights with the queen, and she stabs him. It's really awful. And then Peter sees it, goes running, he's fighting the queen. And it's kind of a losing battle. And then suddenly, you see the lion running and roaring, and Aslan is on the scene. And there's such a sense of joy in that moment, like, oh, game over. He's here. He's here. But the Lord reminded me of that. I said, but I want you to live like that every moment, because I said, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's here. He's in your life. He's in your sitting room. He's in your bathroom. He's in your car. The king is here. Aslan is here. I love that scene. I know it's been said before, but we need to live with that. He's here. He's with us. Um, and he said in the, I think it's the Passion Translation, that says, never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of the age. Why does he say never forget? Because we forget. Just like we need to fill up because we leak. We dry out. We, <laughs> we're human. <laughs> Um, but he is the hope of glory in us. So how can I be in a state of low hope and loss of hope and courage when the hope of glory lives in me? Um, Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. Messiah is the Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. Several years ago, we went to India as a family. Um, Dan's mother and father live in a country that I can't say on tape. Although Peter always says it. So I wasn't ready to go to and take the children on a holiday. Um, um, so we said, well, let's meet in India. So I've never been there before. So we went to India for 19 days. Now, my mother in love was raised in the mountains in India. So she was skipping along. Oh, it's so clean. It's so clean. I'm like, <laughs> it was an adventure, wasn't it? It was an adventure. But before I went, I noticed in my heavenly private tongue there was some different verbiage that I hadn't spoken before. And I kept saying, Yesu nanamasi, Yesu nanamasi. And I thought, I wonder if that means something. Well, we cut a long story short. We went 19 days around India, Delhi, Agra, Jaipur, and the mountains. We hiked down the foothills of one of the Himalayas. I really don't like heights or mountains. They look beautiful from a distance, but I don't like being on really narrow paths with no barriers. It's terrifying. So I'm praying in tongues pretty much the whole 19 days. And I'm reading the Word, and I'm reading a book called um, Hosting the Presence. And I'm just so aware the entire trip. I'm carrying the light. I'm so aware. I'm carrying the anointed one and his anointing. The hope of glory is in me. At the end of the trip, we went to a Christian church called New Life Church, Delhi. And we met a beautiful family who we've become friends with. And um, we took them out for lunch at our hotel. And I got an opportunity to say to her, Esther, what does this mean? Yesu nana masi. She says, oh, yeah, that's Jesus and Messiah in Hindi. 
the whole time walking around India with all these people staring at me, and I'm praying in tongues quite loud. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. No wonder they thought I looked different. But isn't God clever? I'm carrying the anointed one and his anointing. So are you. If you're born again, you're carrying the anointed one and his anointing. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. And John, 1 John says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. We carry him, but we have an anointing. Now, I know we have anointings to do specific tasks. What is the anointing? It's basically the yes of heaven. It's basically saying God agrees and he blesses it. That's what the anointing is. And it's for him. It's all for him. Um, there's a verse and many verses that talk about the right hand of the Lord is upon you. And um, one of them is in Isaiah 41. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Why not his left hand, you say? His right hand denotes omnipotent, complete omnipotent power. It's the full throttle yes of heaven is on your life. It's you. If you're born again in this room, raise your hand if you love Jesus. The full throttle hand of the Lord, right hand, not his left hand, his right hand is on you. It denotes the ultimate power of heaven. The full agreement of heaven is on you and what you've got to do, which makes everything in front of us doable. No matter what we go through, we go through bad times, yes. Is bad things going to happen to good Christians? Yes. But it makes it doable. When I know the anointing is within me and the right hand of the Lord is upon me, it makes my task doable. So whatever we face, that's my confidence. Um, have you ever wondered about Psalm 23 where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want it. It goes on and it says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. I thought, I thought about that this last week, and I found this quote. I'm going to read you this quote. I thought this was really good, and you may have heard it before, but here you go. Here it is again. The origin of anointing was from a practice of shepherds. Lice and other insects would often get into the wool of sheep, and when they got near the sheep's head, they would burrow into the sheep's ears and kill the sheep. So ancient shepherds poured oil on the sheep's head. This made the wool slippery, making it impossible for insects to get near the sheep's ears because the insects would just slide off. From this, anointing became symbolic of blessing, protection, and empowerment. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. The pests can't get in. Notice how it's in the ears. What you hear, what you see, the eye and ear gate is so important what we put in. It's the pests, it's moths and decay. The Bible talks about us, about us being trees, the cedars of Lebanon. I know I've talked about that before. They were the straightest of trees. They were the strongest. Their roots went down the deepest. And what else? They were impenetrable from pests and decay. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. I'm impenetrable from pests and decay. I mean, no, I know it's like, well, that's ultimate. That's not what I'm facing. I'm just saying it's in there. So there must be a way we can live relatively like this. He wouldn't ask us to do anything. But the point is, he's not asking you to do it. It's the anointing. You're carrying an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing is the agreement of heaven on your life. It doesn't matter 
really what, what you do. <laughs> if you're born again, you carry the anointing. And as we know, it's the anointing, Isaiah 10, that breaks the yoke of bondage. See, my confidence is I'm actually quite a simple lass, and I like to keep things simple. I'm not book smart. I'm street smart. <laughs> and, um, but I've all, for all my life, I've been born again for 40 years. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit for probably 30, 32 years. I don't know. But all my life, it wasn't like I had a great education. I was really brainy and really amazing. I just rely on the anointing. And it really, he really does show up, and he really does look after you. And he, everything I can say, when I look at my life, I think, that's because of him and the anointing. It's not my clever argument. And when we're faced with fierce agendas that are anti-Christ, anti-anointing, our confidence is the, in the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. If we're so full of the Holy Spirit and so full of the Word and full of His love, because you get like the people you spend time with. I, if I meet Christians who are dry and crusty and miserable, I'm like, I don't know if you've been spending time with Him because in His presence is the fullness of joy and He is love. So He's the best laugh ever. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to you'd be fake. <laughs> Just smile. It's fine. <laughs> Just be odd. No. But the point is, we can tap into this life source. Um, can I just say, consistency is a beautiful thing. When you have people in your life that are so consistent and faithful, and they're so I mean, for me, it's just so precious. It's a gift. People that are always happy, always encouraging, always smiling, always faithful, always serving. Consistency is a beautiful thing. Now, I'm not much of a cook, and I'm not much of a baker, but I can bake really good British scones. And I know if, I'm not, if they're not consistent, then my boys will suddenly go and bite into a big chunk of baking soda, and it's bitter. Consistency is a beautiful thing. Um, stability, regularity, the quality of, of fact of staying the same in different times. In the days ahead when everything's falling apart and the poop is hitting the fan, as it were, you have to stay the same. You are not a thermometer, you are a thermostat. You've heard that before. There is an ability to be steady and stable all the time. doesn't matter what hits you. I'm not going to react and respond with the word, respond with the Lord. The opposite is not good. Crisis to crisis Christianity, I call it, where everything's going along and then something terrible happens. Then you pray. Then you read your Bible. Then you confess the word. It doesn't work like that. We know that consistently. Every day is my daily bread. I'm taking my vitamins. I'm feeding my spirit. It's consistency. That's what works, right? Um, we know we're called to be more than conquerors. We don't feel like it some of the time, but we are called in the Bible Romans 8, we're called to be more than conquerors. I want to be a consistent conqueror. I don't want to be all up and down all the time. And actually, the New Living Translation says, overwhelming victory is ours. Present tense. Present tense. Overwhelming victory is ours. Present tense. So, you might be going through rubbish, but the truth of the word is there is a, a level we can live that's achievable. Now, I won't say all of these in detail, but I've, the last time I spoke here, I know the last three times, we kind of have a joke about my verbiage here, that my voice is kind of alien frequency. Are the lights on? Did you turn the lights off? I don't think I sound like that. In my head, I'm a lot more bass. But apparently, our recording equipment doesn't recognize this frequency, so it didn't record for three times in a row. And I'm not offended, because I'm not allowed to be, because that's what I preach about. Don't be offended. Um, but the last time, I did talk about three things I do 
And I'll say them briefly, really quickly now, to, to be consistent. And that is like the title of a rather forgettable Julia Roberts movie, Eat, Pray, Love. You might have seen that one. And I eat, I've learned to self-feed. Every Christian learn to self-feed spiritually. It would be grotesque if you came to my house and I look all put together, I can talk, I can spell, but Dan's spoon-feeding me like, oh, that's lovely. That'd be weird. Spiritually speaking, Christians must self-feed. I have been a Christian for a long time and I, do, I never rely on another person to keep me full. I self-feed. We have to self-feed. When I was a little girl, my dad might say, are you in the word? What is the Lord saying to you? And I'm like, I don't know. But I've learned to self-feed. And um, it was funny during that 40-day fast, the boys were like, we were, like, we were doing a Daniel fast, and the boys were like, what, eating like dad? That's easy, burgers and fries. We're like, no, Daniel in the Bible. Anyway, and the second one, pray. There's all kinds of prayer. Praying in tongues is one of them. And if you want to know a bit more about that, if you go on YouTube, Bath City Church, 10 Reasons Why We Pray in Tongues. Sorry, it's me again. But it, the, the, the content is from heaven. It's a biblical exegesis of why we pray in tongues. And people in the room that day got baptized in the Holy Spirit who hadn't been before. People who felt condemned by other tongue-talking Christians didn't feel condemned anymore. And they could see it in the Word. And it was a breakthrough. So I'd encourage you, if you don't speak in tongues, feel free to go listen to that. It's really funny too, kind of. And then the last one is love. Keep your love on. Where there is envy and strife, there is every kind of evil, the Bible says. So therefore, the opposite is true. Keep your love on. No strife, no offense. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. The only reason I can love you is because I love him and his love is in me and it's shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. He's made it really easy for us, really. He's doing everything for us. Okay, I'm nearly done. Um, I want to leave you with this. The word of God is our plumb line, as my friend Jay said. It's, it's God-breathed and God-inspired. Every part of the scripture, God is more than capable of answering everything we face. I don't believe there's any issue on earth today, any agenda, any topic that he is not aware of. <laughs> He's not surprised. And heaven has something to say on everything. And he'll show us how to deal with everything. But the anointing on us, when people come into contact with the love of Jesus, the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage that's on them. They don't know they're in bondage. They don't know they're deceived. I know I'm preaching to the converted. And you're like, yeah, we know that. We know that. But let's do this. Let's carry the anointing. I just want to close with this quote. I love A.W. Tozer. If you've not read The Pursuit of God, it's really full of awesome things. Um, and Tozer said, God did not write a book and send it by messenger to be read at a distance by unaided minds. He spoke a book and lives in his spoken words, constantly speaking his words and causing the power of them to persist across the years. Can I just say, God is more than capable of answering everything we face. If we'll recognize we need this and we need to be full, we carry an anointing from the Holy One. <laughs>